Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Major League Baseball heating up a couple weeks in. In the NBA, the games actually matter. The NFL is primed and ready and excited for its draft that's still more than two weeks away. You would swear it was happening when we're done recording this podcast for how people are talking about it. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. So for our listeners, we'll get into that early in the show. Don't you worry. I just have to say it's a shame to see the Gonzaga dynasty, Al, take a little hit today when it was announced that assistant coach Tommy Lloyd heading for greener pastures, taking the Arizona head coaching gig. I guess this is it for the Bulldogs, right? Mark Few's got to find a new guy to recruit. What's happening now to Gonzaga? Is this it? Are they done? Is the dynasty over? They're not going to win their fourth or fifth consecutive championship next season. You hate to see it. You absolutely hate to see it, right? Well, Folks, once again, the hatred continues. Once again, the ugliness that is my partner uh, rears its ugly head as he goes after Gonzaga nonstop. Yet another cheap shot as they lose their top assistant to the Arizona Wildcats as he goes in to take over a program there that is once a powerhouse under the great Lute Olson. Uh, succeeded by Sean Miller. Many thought national championships will abound. Uh, it's gotten ugly in Arizona for Sean Miller with the alleged uh, recruiting violations and pay-for-play allegations, etc. Uh, Miller had one year left on his contract, thought extension was coming. Sorry, Sean. You joined your brother. And now the unemployed Miller brothers, both out of jobs at major spots, Indiana and Arizona, say time for the Millers to find work elsewhere. And they bring in a winner. They bring in a guy who has a long history uh, in a great Gonzaga program at the side of Mark Few, and now he's got his own job. He's got his own show, and we'll see what he does with the Wildcats. A lot tougher to be the head man than being the assistant, but he goes to the Culver for Champions, and uh, we'll see how he does with, uh, with the, I don't want to say rebuilding, but retooling uh, and bringing, hopefully, respect back to uh, and winning back to the Arizona program. And obviously, the, the Zags will not miss a beat, despite his loss. Just one more dig at the best team out of the WCC before we 
we'll have to wait until March to talk about them again. Just one more on the show, and that'll be it. We'll close the book on Gonzaga for the rest of 2021. To the National Football League and a place that I didn't expect to start, but a place that I feel is important to start based on what I have heard on social media after making a point on the subject and the issue. One Dan Arlovsky tweeted, A good chicken parm is the best Italian dish ever gifted to us humans. Pietro's and NYC prayer emoji, saying, of course, they have the best chicken parm in his opinion. I quote tweeted this tweet and said, chicken parm stinks. Now, immediately, several members of the SiriusXM community, my coworkers, came after me. Delete your account. I can't believe you logged on to make one of the worst statements in the history of Twitter And it went on and on. Not a lot of people on my side. The chicken parm stinks. So, as the old report, as a tried and true Italian, I have to throw it onto the table and ask you your thoughts on chicken parm as a dish, an entree. If you're going to a restaurant, in America that is, if you go over to Italy and ask for a chicken parm, They'll not only throw you out of the restaurant you're at, they'll throw you out of the damn country. They ain't doing chicken parm over in Italy. But you go to an American-Italian restaurant, it'll be a staple on the menu. You're telling me that you're going to pick chicken parm over the copious amounts of entrees and specials at the Italian restaurants that we dine at? I need your thoughts on the matter. Well, first of all, this is, once again, we see what happens with these Twitter wars. Why AWB doesn't waste his time tweeting. This is childish, boorish, ridiculous, waste of time behavior. These are arguments. These are duels. These are controversies that are nothing remotely resembling that. They are just people who have nothing better to do than put something out there as a thought and see if the world will react. First of all, it's a nonsensical thought. It comes from someone whose last name is Arlovsky. Need I say more? That really should end the argument right there. This guy wouldn't know an Italian dish if it jumped up and bit him in his face. Chicken parm is a average at best, at best entree to order an Italian restaurant or eat at home. There are a multitude, a plethora of choices that you can make, whether they're pasta dishes whether they're veal dishes, whether they're chicken dishes, whether they're fish dishes, all of which are far superior to chicken parm. The one aspect of chicken parm, its one strength is in wedge form. If you have a chicken parm wedge the right way, not with gobs and 
gobs and gobs of cheese and sauce where you bite into it and the bread, the wedge is just stopping, oozing with sauce. If you order a chicken parm wedge and have them go from a good Italian restaurant, good Italian takeout, and have them go easy on the parm portion and easy on the sauce, and it's hot and toasty and well done, it can be excellent. But that is not an entree. It is not a dish. And it's not something that Dan Orlovsky knows anything about. In fact, there is no lot from his analysis that I think Dan Orlovsky knows a whole hell of a lot about. Stick to being a mediocre NFL quarterback. Stick to being a mediocre analyst. Stick to the hideous get-up with the unconscionable, obnoxious, let me talk a mile a minute, Greeny, who is just an absolute nightmare to watch or listen to. And that's further evidence of Dan Olowski not knowing what he's talking about when it comes to quarterbacks, when it comes to the NFL, and most of all, when it comes to Italian food, Italian restaurants, main dishes, entrees, and the incredibly average chicken pie. standing in my apartment. See, people? See what we're talking about? That's an informed take from a seasoned Italian. My mother, God rest her soul, didn't even waste her time making for my late great father and I chicken parm. It was not even on the menu in the Renato household. There were plenty of Italian dishes. Chicken parm was not one of them. It's cafeteria food. We happen to have some leftover cutlets hanging around. There's a little bit extra mozzarella cheese. What are we going to do with this leftover sauce? Hey, let's just throw it on top of one another and we'll put it out as a dish. And then some places have the gall to take their pasta as the side, throw it on the plate, and then they plop the chicken parm right on top of it. So half your plate of pasta doesn't even have enough sauce to cover it. What the hell are you doing? It's a train wreck. And it's the typical non-Italian. Ooh, chicken parm. Ooh, you got to have it. You got to have the chicken parm when you gotta, go to you X restaurant. Got to have Believe it. Believe me. What? No, I don't. No, I don't. Now, take my word for it. Do try it in the wedge form. It is far superior to chicken parm as an entree. And it is enjoyable if they do it the AWP way. Not globs and globs of Parmesan cheese. And not swimming in the sauce. Keep it light. Keep it hot. Keep it crispy. Take a tip. From the old report, from the old man, from the old Italian. Globs. The first thing that happens when you try to cut into it is the Parmesan cheese slides over to the other side of the cutlet. So the it's piece you get is just it's chicken and sauce. You might as well eat with 
gloves, a bib, <laughs> train wreck. If you want to argue sandwiches and the wedge, I'm for that as an argument. There's good chicken parm wedges, Sam. Okay. As an entree, if you go into an Italian restaurant, the chef comes out, tells you what he excels at, what his Is specials the are for the night. Ever on the list. And your choice is chicken parm. Get out of the restaurant. Go home. Go somewhere else. Just making a fool out of yourself and slapping the chef in the face. Anyway, let's, we had to get that off our chest. Well, that's standard. I would expect nothing less, nothing worse. From the unlistenable Dan Orlovsky. Well, you should see the people commenting. Oh, it's the best. You have to try it here. Oh, I like veal parm, though. Maybe get that. Some people said, stop eating at Olive Garden. Getting chicken parm at Olive Garden. Go somewhere else. Get an actual dish. You go over to Italy and ask them for a chicken parm. They'll laugh in your face. You Americans. Be like going over to China and asking them at, at the legitimate restaurants. Hey, you have any General So's chicken? Any orange chicken on the menu? Get out of here. Have some class. Have some respect. Speaking of arguments, though, an argument broke out just the other day when longtime New England Patriot Julian Edelman decided to hang it up. Foxborough forever. Had a little three or four minute video with him on the field saying his goodbye. The first thing I thought of when it was announced he was retiring. First thing I heard Julian Edelman out at the Patriots was how long is it going to take him to get to Tampa Bay? Is he already headed there? Is he on the plane? Signing for the vet minimum. They don't even have to pay his ass. Just put him on the roster back with Tom Brady again. We'll run it back for a season or two. I thought I was watching. You know, he, look, he looks like Conor McGregor. That's number one. Sitting there in the chair for the booze commercial. Julian Edelman, overachiever. Quarterback at Kent State, Super Bowl champion, fine player, clutch player, huge catch, fabulous catch, and all-time catch to help lead the comeback against the gag and dog Falcons for another Super Bowl victory. Julian Edelman, Hall of Famer? Not just I don't think so. How about... Don't embarrass me by even starting the conversation. Don't even go there. Don't even think that. Look at the numbers. Look at the competition. Look at all the years it's taken all-time players at that position to reach the Hall of Fame. It took Art Monk forever to make the Hall of Fame, and Art Monk won multiple Super Bowls with the Redskins. And Art Monk at one point was the all-time leading receiver in terms of receptions pre-jury race in the history of the National Football League. It took him forever to get in the Hall of Fame. See, as good as John Taylor, Jerry Rice's co-op, three championships on those great Niner teams. Does anybody think that John Taylor is a Hall of Famer? Not for a second. Good player. Nice player. Clutch player. Remember, he's the one who caught the touchdown pass at the end of the drive by Joe Montana against the Bengals to win their third Super Bowl. Not Jerry Rice. He's the one who caught the slam. Not Jerry Rice. 
but not a Hall of Famer. Julian Edelman, nice little player. The only way Julian Edelman belongs in the Hall of Fame is, as the line says, is with a ticket. Period. End of story. Listen, put him in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Put his name in capitalized letters. He was that important in some moments for the Patriots as a team. Three-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, incredible moments. A guy that you didn't want to have to face in certain games because for whatever reason, he's always open when needed. It was either him or Gronk. They were always open on a third and six. But why do we have to do this? What did Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith do to our society that when a player like Julian Edelman retires, the first sentence is, is he a Hall of Famer? Can't we just enjoy his retirement? better to do but blab nonsense for their programs. Stephen A. just is nonsensical. Everything he says has to be a story. And everything he says has to be with that chip on his shoulder attitude to get ratings. Because that's what they are there for. It is not even a discussion. Talk about something that is relevant. Talk about something that has some merit. Make an argument over something where there is an issue. Don't just go out there and bring up a story to hear yourself talk. Because there is no way, no how, in any world, with respect to the National Football League, that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. And it's not even close. It took Drew Pearson forever to get into the Hall of Fame, courtesy of one of the various committees. He was first team all decade. He was on the all decade team of the 70s. Great Cowboy Williams, much as hated the Cowboys. The first 88 in Dallas. And you're going to talk about Julian Edelman as a Hall of Famer? Julian fucking Edelman. Is he a Hall of Famer? Don't waste my time. Don't waste your listeners' time. Don't waste ESPN's time. Don't try and make money off of a ludicrous, mind-numbing argument slash statement just to hear yourself talk. It's nonsense. It's Twitter nonsense. It's Sports talk show nonsense. It's Skip and Shannon nonsense. And of course, it's Stephen A. and Ted Max. Total and complete nonsense. Skip, who, by the way, tweeted out on the day, there's a case to be made that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer now on Undisputed. Couldn't change the channel fast enough. Had to hear what he had to say about it. It's undisputed that that is a statement made 
just to make a statement. It's one thing to make an argument over an issue. It's another thing to make up an argument over a non-issue. And that's Skip, and that's Stephen A. I am here, the old report, one half of the new report and the old report, is here to set the record straight. I am here to right the wrongs. That's what this show is about. To call these buffoons out on the carpet so they don't lead you folks around by the nose and have you listen to absolute asinine sports talk. You come here and you get the real stuff. You don't get guys just making shit up and throwing it against the wall. That's not what we do here. And I got more of that for you coming up in our next draft discussion. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Nick Wright, friend of the show. Well, he would be if he came on, and he would. We just haven't gotten him on yet, but we'll still be able to say friend of the show. He brought this up on First Things First. Text me back today. Talking Heinz Ward as one of the major names of not being in the Hall of Fame and dwarfing Julian Edelman's career numbers. He and has no the, business be, and has and has no business being in the Hall of Fame. Right. That's an argument to have too that Heinz Ward probably shouldn't get in. That's one Absolutely you can argue not. about at least. Absolutely not. Heinz Ward was a hardworking, clutch, filthy, dirty fucking player. He was the Dirtiest wide receiver, maybe in history. Cheap shot artist, blind side blocker, hit with the helmet. Hines Ward hit with his helmet as an offensive player. He was filthy dirty. He played as hard as anybody has ever played. That doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. Watched him in college at Georgia. Gritty, gutsy. In the Georgia-Georgia Tech game, when the Georgia quarterback was down. He went in and played quarterback the entire game. Heart of a lion and a champion. And the same could be said of Julian Edelman. But like Julian Edelman, in no way, shape, or form is Heinz Ward a Hall of Famer. Not in the right world. Maybe somebody's world of make-believe. Maybe somebody's world of wannabe. But in the right world, the real world, the Canton world, which doesn't belong and why? And those are two players who don't belong in Canton. Why? Because they were not great. And they were never anything remotely great. They were good, hard-working, clutch players. There's no wing in the Hall of Fame for good, hard-working clutch players. That's what they are. It's okay to be the best player on your team to mean the most for championships and not make the Hall of Fame. The two don't have to go together. Julian Edmonds was never the best player on his team. Julian Edmonds was the most important player on his team. And neither was Heinz Ward. And even if they were, that doesn't necessarily put you in the Hall of Fame. Nick did one of those, who am I? 
where there's four silhouettes of wide receivers and then the stats are left underneath and you have to guess who's who. Wayne Corbett. Wayne Corbett. Dion Branch. Santonio Holmes, the latter of which both were named Super Bowl MVPs. Exactly. Wayne Corbett, more receiving yards and touchdowns than Julian Edelman. Just pump the brakes, folks. It's okay Let's to talk about sports. what he meant to the Let's Patriots. Let's sports for a moment. There's one man, not just alive and living well. There is one man ever in the history of the National Basketball Association who has won seven championships and none of them as a Boston Celtic. One man. Only one. Not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not Magic Johnson. Not Michael Jordan. Not Kobe Bryant. Not LeBron James. One man. That one man is Robert Big Shot Bob Ory. Robert Ory was an integral part of back-to-back championships with the Houston Rockets, a starter on the front line with the great Akeem, the Dream Olajuwon. Look at the numbers in those series. Key integral part of those championship teams. Terrific player at Alabama. Went on to be an important part of three consecutive Laker championships. 2000, 2001, 2002. After throwing a towel in his coach's face. One of the best moments of of his career to come over to the Lakers. Knocked down one of the biggest shots in Laker history to keep them from falling down 3-1 to the very tough Sacramento Tomato Queens in the conference finals. And then went on to San Antonio Spurs and was an important part bench player, sometimes starter, for two more championships. Does anyone ever mention Robert Ory as a possible Hall of Famer? Does anyone ever make the argument that Robert Ory is a Hall of Famer? Does anyone ever go on national TV when Robert Ory retired and say, Hall of Famer? Seven championships. Only non-Celtic ever with seven rings in NBA history. Only one. And an important player. A key player. A clutch player like Julian Edelman, like Hans Ward. Oh, by the way, seven championships. Not three, not two, not four, and with three different franchises. And an important part of two, three, two championships. Not even open for discussion. I raised once with Nick Wright. Whose career would you rather have? Not making an argument, just asking a question. Would you rather be Robert Ory with seven championships for three different teams and being an important part of all seven championships? Or would you rather be Tracy McGrady? Hall of Famer, no rings. Me, me. I'll take Robert Ory's career. Yeah. That's just me. Well, the same could be said for Edelman. Forget about your jacket, man. I got to play with the best quarterback in NFL history. Say what you will about Boston and the Patriots and their fans, but if you play for them, they're obviously going to embrace you as the player. 
many who do not like the Patriots would disagree wanting to play for that such team, but you're embraced by the whole city of Boston for most of your career. You win Super Bowls. You win the MVP. You're dating Olivia Culpa at one point. Keep your jacket, man. You could argue to your blue in the face about me getting in. I'm good. Made 40 plus million dollars as a former quarterback from Penn, Kent State. Sign up for that any day of the week. And a juicer. And a juicer. Suspended. Cheater. Whatever you go there. Much more acceptable in football. Baseball, persona non grata forever. Blacklist. Football, eh, four games, no big deal. No big deal. Why that became the first topic of argument and discussion was beyond me. There's so many different things you could have brought up quickly. You don't have to spend a whole show on the issue, which ended up happening throughout sports radio. Couple nice things. Was he the best wide receiver Tom Brady ever had? Let's talk about that back and forth. No, we immediately had to go to the Hall of Fame. Wonderful. All right, we have two things settled now on the show. Set in stone. Number three. Did somebody forget Randy Moss was was a patron? Yeah, but that was just one season, and they didn't win. That's, that's all. It's, it's all. It's, it's all is necessary. We set the all time. We set the all time record for touchdown yeah, receptions. Nice. I, I would say that makes him the best receiver the Tom Brady's ever. Best wide receiver the Tom Brady's ever. Tried. I don't disagree with you, but at least you could have the argument. Well, they didn't win the Super Bowl. Would you? It's a, at least an argument or a discussion to be had. The Hall of Fame discussion and argument. What are we doing? The third item we have to get settled is what's been happening with the prospective NFL draft discussion. Confounding. Where will everyone go? Here's our mock draft. Here's our predictions. Mel Kuyper hasn't slept in weeks, and he still has a couple more weeks to go. The NFL draft is getting into its mocks and predictions and where are they going nows. And as most drafts tend to be, the early focus is around the quarterback position. We know how important the quarterback position is in the National Football League. If you don't have a good quarterback, good luck. All season long in college football. Let's call it the flag football league. <laughs> the flag football league. In college football, the main discussion for quarterbacks at the beginning of the season and for much of it was Trevor Lawrence one, Justin Fields two. That's been going on since they were in high school, by the way. Trevor Lawrence won, Justin Fields too. When he took over at Ohio State, the quarterbacks at the time that were leading the charge, Joe Burrow obviously rose to number one pretty quickly and stayed there for the rest of the season. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, ahead of Jalen Hurts, ahead of Tua Tungavailoa, ahead of Mac Jones. Last season, coming into it, the discussion was, rightly so, once again, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, we'll see what happens with the rest. We know Ohio State's season got cut short in the Big Ten, only playing six regular season games, so he didn't get as much time on the field to see what he's capable of. couple close games. Oh, is he in a slump? Does he have it? Guys like Kyle Trask out of Florida, 
rose up through the ranks. Mac Jones at Alabama, obviously, with the best receiver in college football and the second best or best receiver on the sidelines with a bum ankle all season until the national championship game. Zach Wilson out of BYU all of a sudden becomes a name. For whatever reason, dominating Clemson to get to the national championship game wasn't enough for Justin Fields to keep his spot in the discussion of Trevor Lawrence is obviously going as the number one quarterback in the NFL draft, closely followed behind by Justin Fields. The Jets are lucky to have him. That was our thinking after the college football season ended. For whatever reason, despite not playing any football games, as far as I'm aware of, Justin Fields' draft stock has drastically plummeted to now in the latest mock drafts from Mel Kuyper, he's got the New York Jets taking Zach Wilson out of BYU. He's got the San Francisco 49ers who traded up to get this pick taking Mac Jones of Alabama. Two first round picks. He gave up two first round, gave up two first round, two picks. first round picks with Garoppolo sitting on the sideline, coming back this season, hopefully healthy, saying, hey, what's going on, John Lynch? I thought I was your guy. What's the, what's the deal? Miami Dolphins, via mock trade with Atlanta through the Eagles, are going to take Kyle Pitts. The first line from Mel is, you didn't see this one coming, did you? All along, we've talked about the Dolphins adding weapons for Tua, and Pitts is the ultimate weapon in this class. Okay. The Bengals he has taking Sewell out of Oregon. Obviously, they have Joe Burrow. They don't need a quarterback. Number six, the Atlanta Falcons via mock trade with the Dolphins taking Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. The sixth pick in the NFL draft. Whoa. Okay. We're still waiting to see Justin Fields' name. Seven, the Lions, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. All right, you just made the trade for the quarterback from the other L.A. team. We get it. Still haven't heard the Heisman Trophy winners now. Carolina Panthers at eight, Devonta Smith, Alabama. Okay. Sam Darnold, you just made the move for. Get him a weapon. And you still have Treddy Bridgewater. That's right. So you really, if you're going to trade for Sam Darnold, what does that tell you? That tells you that considering where they are, and you can move up with that pick, that they don't love any of these quarterbacks. Roll the dice. That's what they're willing Which to do. Which it always is anyway. And they give that quarterback a weapon. And then comes your Denver Broncos. My Denver Broncos with Drew Locke as their current starting quarterback pegged to take Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. As Mel says, new GM George Patton, as I like to call him, his new offseason moves seem to point to the Broncos sticking with Drew Locke rather than taking a quarterback in the top 10. Locke flashes enough that he deserves another season to prove he could be a starting caliber quarterback. Ah. <laughs> Now, here's where things get interesting. 
Shameful, by the way, it would be for the Broncos to pass up on Justin Fields. So luck would have it that this would be the next case scenario in the National Football League. The New England Patriots trade with the Dallas Cowboys to the 10th pick in the draft and snag Justin Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. Sorry, Cam. There's a new king coming to town. Good fit, though. Sit for a year. It would be an amazing get to have Justin Fields at 10, especially if you're New England with the quarterback position in the future, really up for grabs, up in smoke at this point. Why has he fallen not only out of the top three, the top five? Justin Fields has fallen without playing any football games. And remember, to this fringe is a top kid ten quarterback who is so tough. He took the cheap shot from the filthy, dirty Clemson linebacker, who's gotten kicked out of two straight Final Fours with helmet heads, and got up off the turf and led his team to a dismantling of Clemson. And then, of course. He didn't play great against Alabama. He probably was not 100%. But he never stopped. He never quit. He hung in. And he made it a game for a while. But that's about the best anybody was going to do against Alabama, which was an absolute juggernaut. Uh the game we never got to see, which is the game we would have loved to see, was this past year's Alabama team against the prior year's LSU team. First team to 60 wins. But the point is, this is a marvelous football player by my account. Incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, athletic, great arm, hard worker, tough kid, and a quarterback from BYU has jumped him. And Mac Jones has jumped him. Hard worker, great deep thrower, they say. Knows every move, every spot, every play, every checkoff, every recognition on the field. So be it. But the thing that I find confounding is, was Mac Jones' stock so high that you had to jump to three to get him? No one was raving about Mac Jones. Mac Jones was a mid-first-round pick. People were talking about the Patriots taking Mac Jones at 15. His workouts and pro days were not fabulous. So how did Mac Jones jump to three? Because the Niners jumped to three. Why didn't they take Mac Jones from where they were? Because they could have gotten him there in all probability. Jumping nine spots for Mac Jones because John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan both, I guess, are infatuated with Mac Jones. You don't think he was going to be there, as you said, when their pick came up normal? Why? What happened? What's changed? You have to worry about the Patriots jumping up to take him? Maybe so. Making that same trade to jump to 10? Maybe so. But you can still move up 
to seven or eight to take them there. You have to go all the way to three. Really? All the way to three. To take a quarterback who is not wholly dissimilar style-wise to the quarterback that you have. A quarterback who is relatively stationary. A quarterback who throws an excellent ball. A quarterback who has a nice touch. A quarterback who is not overly athletic. You've got one of those now. So it seems like Jimmy G is going to be their quarterback for this year. And whoever they take will sit behind Jimmy G and learn. Why can that not be Justin Fields? Who has, in my mind, so many more abilities and ways to beat you, a la a Russell Wilson. This is not Lamar Jackson. He is a Russell Wilson type. He is a better version of Dak Prescott. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And then you have the confounding case of Trey Lance. And we go to the blurb I saw yesterday with my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. The new report portion of this program. His love affair with one Mia Kimes. Mia Kimes, NFL guru, who's what, 27, 28 years old? Now, I understand I don't analyze the 22. And at times, I don't know, you know, a cover two from a slipcover. I understand I'm not Mr. X at all. I played basketball and baseball. But I've watched the NFL since 1965. I know what my eyes tell me. And I know that my eyes tell me that for you to say that Trey Lance has the biggest upside of any quarterback in this draft, the biggest quote-unquote ceiling, means that ceiling is the height of a curve. What the fuck are you talking about? What were you watching? One game at North Dakota State? How much film of Trey Lance did you break down against top flight competition to come up with that conclusion? He's played no games against top flight competition. Remember, this is not NC State. This is not ND Notre Dame. This is ND State, North Dakota State. Yes, they had a quarterback in the Philadelphia Eagles drafted and had one great year. And then fell on his face and became the most overrated player in the National Football League. But this is a quarterback with no, virtually no resume against top flight competition. Now, you want to take him? Okay. You see something as a player personnel draft expert. Someone who analyzes talent. Someone who knows schemes. Someone who understands all. But to sit there in Mia Kimes' shoes and simply say, he has the highest ceiling in this draft? What the fuck are you talking about? What is your rationale for that, Mia Kimes? 
Again, it's just to be heard. I must say something that is so off the fucking wall, that is so ass. Let me tell you something. There's a better chance that longtime Laker announcer Stu Lance had a better NBA career than Trey Lance will have as an NFL career. Look up Stu Lance, nice little player, Houston Rockets, and a few other stops in the NBA. Longtime Laker announcer. But to tell me that Trey Lance has the highest ceiling of all the quarterbacks in this draft, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, one game last year, one, has a higher ceiling, a higher ceiling than Justin Fields, is utter and complete nonsense. It's someone talking who doesn't know what they're talking about. But she's got her spot. She's got her place. She's got her podcast. She's got her show. She's an expert. How? Why? I haven't got a clue. But that's what's out there. You have a voice. You get to be heard. It doesn't matter what you say. No one ever calls you on the carpet. No one ever says, what in the fucking world are you talking about? How in the world are you calling this guy as a higher ceiling than these quarterbacks who played at huge programs against tremendous competition and excelled? Because he can make all the throws. He can throw the deep ball. He can throw the touch pass. He can run. These other guys can't. Justin Fields doesn't do that against the best competition. The Clemson kid only won a national title as a freshman, beat Alabama. Even the kid from BYU who played a bunch of dogs, but at least it's major college G1 football. And it's thought by many experts, people that I listen to, to be a top flight prospect. Although if I'm the Jets, I'm taking. Justin Fields. And if I'm the Niners, I'm taking Justin Fields. And Justin Fields may be a total boss. But when you watch, when you look, when you study, when you see the body of work and you see the athlete against the competition, there's no way to argue that Trey Lance is a better prospect than Justin Fields. But let's throw it out there so people can talk about it. So I can be the one to say it. It's asinine. Total and complete garbage. Justin Fields should be the second pick in the draft. Worst case scenario, the third pick in the draft if you need a quarterback. Some would argue Justin Fields is the best quarterback in this draft. But let's leave that for the fly boy. Let's leave that for the Adonis. He's earned his stripes. How? I'm taking Justin Fields at two. I've taken Justin Fields at three. I've taken Justin Fields as the second quarterback in this draft. Period. End of story. I'm taking him if you need a quarterback anywhere. If he falls to you, take him. If the Broncos get to nine and Justin Fields is still sitting in the green room, run to wherever the phone is immediately and scream 
Into the Dark Night. Justin Fields. And, and remember, I don't like Ohio State. Well, neither do I. Neither do I. But this is just I've, preposterous. I've despised Ohio State since I was a little kid. I hated Woody Hayes. One of the biggest douchebags in the history of college football, of college sports. A total and complete asshole. However, this is a wonderful prospect. This is not just an athlete. This is a pure thrower. This is a guy who can stand back in the pocket. He can also do things with his legs, but doesn't have to. He is potentially Mia Kimes, Seattle gal, a better version of Russell Wilson. That is a high ceiling. Not trade, don't call me Stu Lance. He's more athletic than Russell Wilson. He has a better arm than Russell Wilson. That doesn't mean he will be Russell Wilson because we've seen it before. We've seen these guys flame out. I got in discussions on Sports Talk Radio with the quarterbacks, the class of a few years back, and I had people tell me, Josh Rosen is the best quarterback in this draft. Josh Rosen is the best pure passer in this draft. Josh Rosen is the most NFL-ready quarterback in this draft. Josh Rosen never had the heart or the toughness to play in the NFL. He's constantly hurt. And it looks like, as of right now, Josh Rosen is never going to materialize as a starting NFL quarterback. Now, I didn't say he would never materialize into a starting NFL quarterback, but I said he was the last guy on my list of these quarterbacks. Speaking of Russell Wilson, and to put a bow on this, the latest in the piling on of Justin Fields came from one Chris Mortensen. We've already had the report from Dan Orlovsky earlier about questioning Justin Fields' work ethic. Maybe he's not the maniac guy in the room from sunrise to sundown, whatever it was. The chicken parm kid. Chicken Mr. parm chicken kid. Mr. Chicken parm. Then there were the people saying, well, maybe he can't throw past his first read. He had to do two throwing sessions because the first one all the teams that he thought wanted to watch him throw went to other pro days. So he had to do one today and they all showed up. Oh, Hey, sorry. We missed the first one. Our bad. He should have told them all to go fuck themselves. But the latest out of Mort, similar to Bill Poley and telling Lamar Jackson, he should become a wide receiver instead of a quarterback. He says, quote, people don't realize that Justin Fields was a big time high school baseball player. Yes, he was. He was actually going between two sports and then the pandemic, those types of things might have messed with his mechanics a little bit. Now we're going after his mechanics because he played wasn't, baseball. Wasn't that a certain Heisman Trophy winner out of Oklahoma, also a baseball player? He got drafted to play baseball, and Kyler Murray said, you know what, I'm good, I'm going to play football. Justin Fields hasn't played baseball since 2018. He didn't play at Ohio State. He is three years being a quarterback. Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson all played baseball. What are we doing? Making them up. As I said earlier in the program, making shit up. Now he's got bad mechanics because he played baseball. Oh, you can't make it up. In April, it, we're talking about his mechanics, which we've never heard about, and it's because he played baseball in high school and college. Just throw it up oh. against the wall and see if it stays up there or it slides down. And you know what shit does when you throw it up against the wall? It slides right down. The 
step. Turn on the game. Turn on the press conferences leading up to the game and after the game and tell me you don't want that dude as your NFL quarterback. I don't understand it. You don't have to defend the risk that you would take taking him at two or maybe three because you could turn on those games and say, look at what he did on the football field against the best teams in college football. The thing that I don't understand is the fit in San Francisco of where they are is perfect. Sit for a year behind Jimmy G, who is your quarterback, and you've got your quarterback of the future when Jimmy G's contract is out. This happens every year. They need something to talk about, so we go by how much somebody bench-pressed, how fast they run 40 yards, how high they jump. I don't get Mac Jones over Justin Fields. And forgive me, but there's no fucking way I get Trey Lance over Justin Fields. Not now, not ever, never. These are guys, some of these guys would not be anywhere near the top of the draft when you were younger and I wasn't nearly as old. But the position has become so much more important because of the way the game is played that anybody who's worth their salt falls to the top. Supposedly, you can't win a championship with a mediocre quarterback. Now the position is kill or be killed. Got to have one or you're dead. Trade up for Trubisky. What are you fucking kidding me? Mitchell Trubisky? (laughs) Had a cup of coffee in North Carolina. Is your Trey Lance. That's what happened. Got to be back. That's exactly right. Well, it's decided. We figured out Chicken Parm. We figured out Julian Edelman. And we figured out the NFL draft. This has been an incredibly productive program. Folks, this has been one of the most, in my mind, decisive, issue-busting, new report, old reports that we have had in recent years. We have settled disputes Or we have told you that they're really not disputes. We have settled for you alleged issues, which were not issues. And then, of course, we finished it with settling a real dispute, a real issue in terms of the draft slash quarterback. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, until next week, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I'm Al Renato, AKL from White Plains. Have a great sports week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>